Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. What are we going to do tomorrow night? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome. It is that time, time for the Fantasy Baseball Hour with me, Matt Stryker, and joining me as always, the one, the only, the guy that likes to pick up overtime and take shifts for all his buddies, no matter what he has to do in life, Mike the Rotocop. Mike, what's going on, man? Not much. You guys can follow me at Mike the Rotocop on Twitter. It's been an exciting 48 hours, Matt, since the last time we spoke. Oscar Mercado got called up for the Indians. Nicky Lopez got called up for the Royals. Austin Riley is coming up for the Atlanta Braves. Chris Sale had 17 strikeouts, and Vladdy Jr. had two home runs. Now, Mike, what does it tell you that I own every single name you just said? That tells me that you are ahead of the curve. Yeah, now, so you, you mentioned Mercado, Lopez, Riley, Hira came up. So in the past, uh, I'd say 24 hours, I've been really tinkering with my teams because I have a problem. I have an addiction. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm addicted to fantasy baseball. That should be one of our commercials. Because anytime a hot prospect comes up, especially a hitter with the way pitching's been going this year, I scramble to own this player. And sometimes haste makes waste. And I say, ooh, should I drop Brandon Nimmo? Ooh, should I drop Kike Hernandez? And, and I did for, to both of those guys, actually. And uh, Hernandez's only disappointment is the position eligibility. But in the past like 24 hours, my waiver wire has been jumping. And uh, I want to know, do you own any Mercado, any Lopez, any Hura, any Rodriguez, any Riley as of this morning? Uh, yeah, I went in on uh, Mercado and Lopez in my in my daily Yahoo League. Austin Riley, I it happened while I was sleeping, so I missed out on him. I missed out on Keston Hura at by three minutes yesterday. Actually, three oh, minutes I missed out on when that happens. And it was actually because my my work schedule changed. And if it didn't change, I I believe that I would have got him when when the news broke, or even before the news broke that he was definitely getting called up. So I was a little bummed out about that. Mercado went uh, 0 for yesterday with three strikeouts, so he didn't look too great at the plate. But Nicky Lopez did get a base knock, so that was uh, mm-hmm. that was exciting. But I wanted to touch on the Vlad Jr. trade that I discussed last episode when That's I was offered. Right. Refresh um, the listeners. Go ahead. So I was offered Tommy Fam, uh, my Tommy Fam, and my Chris Paddock for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Will Smith, and I countered that. And after a couple counters, I finally settled on. My Mitch Haniger and my Chris Paddock for his Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and his Jordan Hicks. So just a little disclaimer. Oh, that's, that's a win. That's a win. A little disclaimer about the Yahoo Leagues. You only need seven innings minimum pitch for the Yahoo Pro Leagues. So it's a way different kind of format than most people are used to. So having elite relief pitchers kind of plays a big part. So I compare Hicks now with my Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, and Blake Parker, who's quietly having a very good season. Wow, wheeling and dealing, Mike the Rotocop. Uh, I guess you realize that this owner was coveting Paddock 
Uh, throwing in Hanniger is interesting because he has been underperforming as has the team as of late. But uh, you and I talked last episode about holding on to Hanny. So that's interesting. But I guess you really love getting Vladi and Hicks. I think you win this trade, bro. Yeah, and then Vladi hit the two homers last night, which I was yeah. happy about. Even though Hanniger has homered in back-to-back games. But I think uh, it's takeoff time for Vladi. Yeah, and I stacked Vladi uh, yesterday. I put in two DFS lineups. And it's funny because I sat on these lineups all day. Astro stack and on Vladi. So, so I'm happy about that. But I don't want to lose sight of what I think a lot of owners may be going through right now. And that is looking on the waiver wire. You know, we're coming up to Memorial Day. You have all these young call-ups. Do I drop this guy? Do I pick up this guy? So on and so forth. So um, I want to know, what does your waiver wire look like in some of your leagues? And is there a guy or two out there that – Let's just go with, I don't know, under 40% owned. So four out of, less than four out of 10 people in, in a group will own this player. Is there anyone that you can put our listeners on to that, that may be uh, sneaky, sexy, as I like to say? Yeah, so keep in mind all those guys we named above if you're in uh, either Yahoo, CBS, ESPN leagues. We're not going to be able to get them on NFBC until Monday. So Monday's fab is probably going to be a, a crazy one. I like to uh, look at my Yahoo league to gauge the percentage owned. So one guy that's very, very low and I'm sure it's going to rise throughout the weekend, is Almedes Diaz, who's currently 3% owned. He's eligible all over the diamond, first, second, third, and short. With Altuve on the DL, the playing time's there. He's, he's homered in three of his last four games now, nine RBIs in that span. And he's pretty much on par with, with league averages across the board. He's going to Boston this weekend, and he's missing Chris Sale. So that's always a good sign. So I think Almedes Diaz would be a hot pickup. Uh, Wilmer Flores is another bat who's 11% owned. He's eligible at first, second, and third base. And it's kind of weird because Flores isn't really a, a stack cast hero, as I like to call him. His peripherals are, aren't jumping off the page at you. But he did have a 348 uh, average draft price before the season. And a lot of people got excited when he got traded to Arizona. Lefty Masher playing every day now. He did start off slow, but the last 14 days coming into last night, he was 16 for 42, which is 381 with two homers, nine RBIs. He's up to 280 on the season. He's facing the Giants this weekend. They're throwing Jeff Samarja, and I don't even know if the Giants know who they're throwing the rest of that series. But <laughs> the position flexibility between those two guys, I think those are two very good ads. Before I get into a pitcher, I'll let you uh, take it away with your hitters, Ted. So I'm a big fan of position eligibility, especially in daily leagues. That's why I love players like Nico Goodrum, Drickson Profar, Kike Hernandez, even though the uh, – Last two guys I mentioned have been disappointing me, but position eligibility is something that I find intriguing. And I also like, so I like a young guy, a guy no one knows, but at the same time, it bothers me when this player ends up on say the Detroit Tigers, because I don't know about the protection in the lineup, but I am going to, because I have just picked this guy up. He's only 24% owned in Yahoo leagues. And that's Ronnie Rodriguez. He gives you all the infield position eligibility. He's been fairly hot. And uh, I just think this is a guy right now, he's clubbing home runs and he's knocking guys in. He strikes out a little bit too much for, for my enjoyment. But beyond that, uh, I think Ronnie Rodriguez is a guy that if you need someone and you have the position eligibility, you go out and you find him. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think Ronnie Rodriguez is definitely making a name for himself this year. He, uh, his OPS is over 1050 at this point. He's one of the bright spots in that, in that Detroit lineup so far. Yeah, also two other guys, and I'm, I'm split on them. Uh, when A.J. Pollock went down, everyone was talking about Alex Verdugo getting the reps. And uh, I just 
I don't know if Verdugo is going to break out. I mean, all the metrics say he is, and he's only 32% owned in Yahoo League. So, so there might be a guy that, you know, you get a good lineup, you, you, you get a hot stud, you know, he's going to have playing time, thing of this nature. On the flip, uh, this guy's 52% owned. I know it goes against what we're doing here, but you had brought him up, and he just homered again, and that's uh, Robbie Chironos on Houston. Again, a uh, favorable lineup, and also the position. Catcher does not have a lot to offer. I think Mitchie Garver just went down yesterday. So if you're in one of these leagues and you're having some catcher issue and you're trying to get productivity from a position that you normally, you know, don't win or lose leagues on, maybe Chironos might be a, a good fit. Your thoughts on Verdugo and Chironos? Yeah, Verdugo is interesting because at the beginning of the season, he wasn't facing left-handed pitching. And he finally, the Dodgers finally came around to putting him in the lineup and he strived. He's had a really good year so far and he's definitely shown a lot of potential in, uh, in L.A. As far as Chirinos goes, he's been a top 10 catcher pretty much since the start of the season. I know there's a couple of guys up there like uh, James McCann is in 366. He's only 44% owned. I think we discussed him on a previous show. Uh, Omar Nevarez, Mitch Garver, like you said, got hurt yesterday. So catcher hasn't really been uh, what we expected as far as the top 10 goes, but Torino should should ride that wave the whole entire season. One, um, one pitcher I wanted to get to who's 42% owned. I'm sorry for, for breaking the rules here, Matt, but yeah. Sp- Spencer Turnbull who sure. I really think is very under, under-owned at 42% in Yahoo. 44.2 innings, 44 strikeouts, a 2-4-2 ERA, 1.21 whip. So he's got a, a four-seam sinker slider changeup, 94 on the fastball velo average for the four-seam. His O-swing, first-pitch strike, and swing and strike are all a tick above, tick above league average. And he's, his, next, his next three starts are home against Oakland, on the road against Miami, and on the road against the Orioles. So those are three starts he should definitely, definitely strive in. And if you want to pick up Spencer Turnbull, not just for his next start, but for the two after, I think that would definitely be a good idea. Yeah, uh, as far as pitching goes, it, it's, it's a fluid situation. I mean, I can tell you to go grab a Kyle Gibson, who, who pitched uh, pretty decently in his uh, last start against the Angels, pitched really well against the Blue Jays in his start before that. His next start coming up is on the road at Seattle. Uh, there, there isn't a lot of sexy on the on the pitching waiver wire, which is how it should be. Um, you know, so I'm going to really refrain, and I'll just kind of tag on to what Mike said about Spencer Turnbull. I have had him and used him in a streaming situation. He's certainly someone that is, uh, that is worth a look. Anyone else that you think is out there on the waiver wire, aside from, and look, don't sleep. Mercado may still be in, open in your league. Lopez may still be open in your league. Riley, people may not have, have even – listen, you look at my waiver wire and you can see the times that I make my moves. You can tell that I'm a loser. You can tell that I'm up at 2.50 in the morning while my girlfriend is asleep next to me and I'm just trolling the waiver wire. Some people troll Tinder. I troll the waiver wire. Um, anybody else there, Mike? Uh, not much. Corbin Martin's 39% owned. I think he should, he's a definite ad. Sean Anderson's making his debut for the Giants this week. He's at 3% owned still. I'm sure that will go up if he has a good start. Avisel Garcia is 12% owned. He's, he's having a breakout year considering what he did last year. He's hitting 300 with seven homers, 17 RBIs, and, and three swipes even. So that would be a guy to, to ride while he's hot. But other than that, I don't see too much out here. Um, Griffin Canning, you could give another go. He's starting against Kansas City this week. He's only 22% owned. He's had some flashes. But other than that, I don't, uh, I don't see much here. One thing Mike and I take seriously are our saber metrics. Uh, 
uh, when I first started to get into sabermetrics, I'll be honest, I did not understand what a lot of these things meant. And I started to go into the lab to tinker. And that's where Mike and I are going right now. All right. When Mike the Rotocop and Matt Schrager go into the lab, we break down a metric that some of you may hear, but really not know what it means. And those of you that do know what it means, you have an extreme advantage over those that don't. Mike and I in the past have discussed FIP and how it really affects a pitcher and gives you a better picture. Uh, last week, we discussed WOBA and how that gives you a much better picture. This week, we are going to discuss BABIP, which stands for batting average on balls in play. <laughs> balls in play. <laughs> B-A-B-I-P. And basically, if I'm explaining this to Michael's mother, Beverly the Rotocop, hello, you have not seen me in a few episodes. I've been working. I've been going to Costco. Let me tell you, Michael is eating me out of house and home. If I am explaining Babbitt to Beverly the Rotocop, it basically is how often a ball in play goes for a hit. Now, Mike, you and I talk about this. I think Babbitt's important because it basically – takes away defense luck, things like that, and just really takes into consideration what a ball does once it leaves a player's bat. Um, can you give us a quick little intro on your thoughts on Babbitt, why you use it, et cetera? Yeah, I think it's definitely a good uh, determination of where to predict. I know you can't predict it on the nose, but to predict uh, how a player's season is going to go through the ups and downs. This is kind of your, uh, your brainchild here, Matt, the lab. And even though we're doing BABIP today, which some people might, might, might look at as a, as a more basic tool that they could use, some people out there don't, don't use it. So that's the, that's the goal in this segment. And throughout the weeks, we're going to be going in-depth on different, different uh, metrics that you could use to determine the future or try and predict the future at the, as very best as you can. As far as BABIP goes, there's a lot of things to keep in mind. And I know, uh, I know you know this, and I know most listeners out there know this, but for those who don't, so when you're talking about pitchers and their BABIPs, a pitcher, even a batter with a specific batted profile, a battable profile, whether it be ground balls, fly outs, line drives, might be prone to higher or lower BABIPs. So that's something to keep an eye on. And it's not necessarily a sign of luck, but if a BABIP is higher or lower than a career average, but if it's substantially different, then it usually is. So if you got a guy like David Dahl this year whose BABIP is – up above 400, that's an extreme. So obviously that's going to regress. But for guys like uh, a Mike Trout, who's bats around 350 every year, he's one of the best hitters in the league. That's going to be stagnant almost because he's such a good hitter. So unless David Dahl turns into Mike Trout, that bat is going to dip a lot in the, in the near future. And the highest, um, I believe it was the highest BABIP ever with, for a player with more than 4,000 career plate appearances was 380. So I don't know what Trout's is at the moment, but I'm sure uh, he'll be around that. So that's that's just a gauge to determine BABIP. Um, one other very key note is that before BABIP stabilizes, it needs a large sample. So you can't be dealing with small sample sizes when you're talking about BABIP. So research shows that 800 balls in play for a hitter to stabilize and 2,000 for a pitcher to stabilize. So just keep that in mind also when you're, when you're looking at BABIP trying to figure out if a player is going to go on a hot streak or going to go cold. Just It takes a big sample size to, to really evaluate BABIP. And that's why BABIP is so great because of the large sample size. A lot of times, and listen, I took statistics four times in college and not because I liked the class, wink, wink. So basically you need a large sample size to truly – give value to a statistic. Um, yeah, and you threw out these great numbers with, with Dolly leading and, and Trout's consistency. Basically, 
the, the average is 300 on Babbitt. So now you have a gauge on what to look at. If a guy's Babbitt is 260, then you have to look at some of the other things going on. Uh, guys have really good luck. Is he playing against a great defense? Things of this nature. 300 is usually the barometer where guys are going to settle into. Now, you mentioned for pitchers as well that there is a Babbitt. Uh, listeners, basically what a lot of these metrics do is they look at what happens once the ball is out of control of the player. And that's something we need to take into consideration here. Once the ball leaves the bat of a batter, we have no, listen, I could go one for five in a game. You could look at the box score and say, oh, striker stinks. He hit 200. But what you don't see is that Mike made three diving plays at second and short because he shifted on me or whatever. That doesn't show up in a box score. That will show up in your Babbitt. And it will give you a much better indicator as to the hitter's propensity for reaching base, base successfully and having a, a successful, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a successful event as he steps up to the plate. As far as the pitcher goes, ball leaves his hand, and that's FIP more than, than this. He really has nothing that he can do. So it's not to say that some pitchers can't control their bad. I'm reading this off of fan graphs. Clayton Kershaw, for example. Have you heard of him, Mike? Yes, I have. He actually okay, beat, our, he, beat our guy, Chris Paddock, last he night. He did. He beat our guy, and then you traded our guy. You're a dick. <laughs> uh, Clayton Kershaw typically has a lower-than-average Babbitt because he's a fly ball pitcher, right? Fly balls fall for hits less often than ground balls. And he also has a high strikeout rate. And he has a long history of limiting opposing Babbitt. But most pitchers year-to-year, the Babbitt doesn't tell you much about their future Babbitt, and Mike pointed that out. So use Babbitt in large sample sizes to get a better view of what a hitter or pitcher does, but be careful about trying to predict. Use these tools, but don't necessarily uh, rely only on them. Anything else you want to add to Babbitt? No, I just wanted to give a quick example of a guy who will probably be low, uh, go down in average is uh, Ahmed Rosario currently has a 371 Babbitt, which is good for like top 15 in the league right now. And he's hitting 284. So obviously Ahmed Rosario is not going to have a 371 Babbitt this season. He had a 310 last year over 154 games and almost 600 plate appearances. And he finished with a 256 average. So that 284 average that Ahmed Rosario is sporting right now, I know there's some speed involved in that and uh, a lot of ground balls, but that, that 284 is really going to take a dip and I would expect it to come soon as, uh, as a tougher pitching ahead for the Mets. All right. Mike and I are going to exit the lab. Sometimes Mike likes to stay behind. He's watched too much Breaking Bad, but that is for another episode. Mike, you like when I make these timely television references? They're very good. You're not, uh, you're not dating yourself by any means. I like them. There you go. Uh, are there other things in your life that, that give you joy outside of DFS and fantasy baseball? Uh, yeah, they usually involve sports. The Knicks <laughs> not getting the number one pick uh-huh. yesterday is not one of those things. That, uh, uh-huh. that hurt. See the Pelicans get number one, and the Knicks probably lose out on Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis all in a matter of uh, five seconds there. So that was Welcome typical. To being a Knicks fan. Yeah, yeah, that was typical Knicks. But uh, and the Warriors winning last night, I wasn't too happy about either. I'm ready to see that uh, that dynasty come to an end. But the Blazers that's not, that's not happening anytime soon, buddy. The Blazers didn't have any sense of urgency last night, so that that kind of hurt as well. And then Chris Paddock got tagged up. So last night wasn't the uh, the greatest night ever. That's for sure. Well, hopefully uh, tonight and tomorrow night will be better for you because there are a lot of DFS options. So let's go in right now to the DFS world. All right, today's slate is intriguing to me. Uh, I do want to try to avoid the obvious. And the obvious that I see is there's a doubleheader. 
Uh, is that true? Yes. yes no, that it's is not true. true. That is true. There's the, yes. the Orioles the and the Yankees. And the Orioles. Yeah, you got Jay Hop going against David Hess, and then you have Domingo Herman going against Andrew Kashner. Are you on either a Yankee uh, rubber guy or any Yankee stacks today? Yeah, Domingo Herman is actually my pitcher of choice for today. Before I get into Domingo Herman, I just want to throw out there before I before it gets lost in the uh, podcast world, my two picks last week for or my two picks on Monday for DFS were Marvin Gonzalez on Monday and Colton Wong on Tuesday. Marvin Gonzalez went one for four with a homer and two RBIs Monday. Colton Wong went two for five with a homer and three RBIs on Tuesday. So both of the picks homered. So all that means is Venmo me your money and I'll take half of whatever you want. Domingo Herman <laughs> starting the first game of the doubleheader against the Orioles today. And I own him everywhere in uh, season-long leagues. He's having a phenomenal year, 2.7 ERA. 43 innings pitch, 44 strikeouts. He has seven wins already, seven and one. And he's sporting a, a four-seam sinker change-up curve. All his pitches are plus pitches. His curveball especially has a pitch value of 6.5 with a 111 batting average against on his curveball, plus chase rate, plus swing and strike rate. And the Orioles really have three problems. It's curveballs, chasing pitches, and whiffs. And Domingo Herman has the makeup to get them to do all three. And like I said, he has all the tools for just a 26-year-old. I would definitely roster him today against the Orioles. I don't know. Uh, what's your pitcher for today? Yeah, so I just want to say that to all the listeners, everything that Mike and I talk about in DFS, I put my money where my mouth is, and I, I lay my money down on a lot of our picks. And, yeah, uh, in the last few days, I mentioned that I paid for Mother's Day dinner like a baller, and uh, I sat out Monday. Uh, yesterday I did well. I just think that if you listen – and you play your money right, and you put in one or two lineups, don't go crazy, you're going to win money. I mean, I have a friend, Jay, who only wins like five bucks every time, and that's good for him. But then, you know, if, if you're a big boy and you want to win you know, a couple of hundred bucks a day, that's a car payment. That's, that's grocery shopping. That's a night out to dinner with your girl, unless you go out with my girl, and then that's just drinks. <laughs> All right, um, I, I, I'm getting a little chalky here, but I do see that Justin Verlander is going against the Tigers. I think he's going to have motivation, 6-1 and one with a 2.5 ERA, 68 strikeouts. Pitching against Gregory Soto, who I think I may or may not have went to high school with a kid named Gregory Soto. Uh, Soto has a 15 ERA. I think Verlander – I'm almost afraid because I think Verlander seems – too easy of a pick. Uh, looking at some of the other games, maybe Mike Soraka, although the Cardinal bats are hot. Um, beyond that, there, there's really nothing other than what you mentioned. Uh, maybe, no, maybe not. Uh, yeah, that, that's really it. That's what I like today as far as pitchers go. Uh, what kind of hitters do you like today, Mikey? Uh, I got a hitter for Thursday. Yeah, for Thursday, which is tomorrow. Um, Alex Gordon against Lance Lynn. Gordon is... 10 for 19 against Lynn, and usually I would say this is kind of an obvious one, but it is just too good to stay away because Gordon's experiencing a career resurgence, 297, eight homers, 31 RBIs, 85th percentile on ex-Woba, 76th percentile on ex-slugging, which might not seem like numbers that jump off the page, but for Alex Gordon, it definitely jumps off the page. Lance Lynn has a, a 5.48 ERA this year with a whip of 1.5 in 47 innings. Somehow he has four wins, don't ask me how. He does have a decent pitch mix, and he does throw hard, but he just can't get enough swings and misses and doesn't get hitters to chase. So Gordon should be relatively cheap tomorrow. I think that's a good play. 
Um, Hunter Pence is also a good play. Marcelo Zuna is a good play. And for the pitcher for tomorrow, I'm going to double down on Spencer Turnbull, who I mentioned before, and I really think he's going to do very well against Oakland. So if you, if you still have the opportunity to get Spencer Turnbull, I would go after it. All right, uh, some hitters that I like uh, for today. And again, the lineups aren't out, but I just see that Andrew McCutcheon's numbers against Gio Gonzalez are very, very good. I also see that Ryan Braun, who it's funny, and he's available in one of my leagues. And I'm just like, how do I not pick him up? He just really seems to, to be hitting a lot of home runs, facing Jake Arrieta. So, so he's an interesting guy for me to take a look at, uh, those would be for today. For tomorrow, you mentioned him, so what do you want me to do? You stole my thunder. I do like Marcelo Zuna. I like his numbers very much. Um, and I also think Cardinal bats are hot right now. They put up, uh, what, 10 or 12 runs last night, something like that. I don't know because I don't live on this planet. And uh, <laughs> other than that, I don't. Other than that, you had mentioned Alex Gordon. Hey, maybe Adam. 14 runs last night. There you go. Maybe Adam Eaton is sexy against Zach Wheeler for tomorrow. It's a one o'clock game. So that could be something. Uh, also with my DFS, I like to see what time the games start. I don't want to wait around till seven o'clock to start biting my nails and care. I no. like a one o'clock game, you know, especially tomorrow here in New York is going to be very, very nice. It'll be a nice sunny day. I can win some money there. Uh, pitchers for the tomorrow matchup you had given yours. Um, Honestly, nothing really jumps off the page. Maybe Marcus Stroman at the White Sox, he said with a question mark. Uh, beyond that, nothing is really that sexy to me. You gave your pictures for tomorrow. Let me just do a quick look at the probable pictures from MLB.com. We have Zach Wheeler going against Andy Sanchez. No, Zach Davies against Zach Eflin. No, Chris Bassett against our famous TBD. That might be a good one. Chris Bassett against Tiger Bats. Quintana and Castillo, that should be fun. Ooh, how about this one? <laughs> I almost think this should be off the board. Trevor Bowers facing the Orioles. Um, how about Trevor Bauer versus anyone the Orioles? Mike Flanagan. I don't care who they throw out there. It's going to be expensive. You're definitely going to pay for it. Yeah, so. definitely. Definitely be expensive. Uh, beyond that, Wayno against Tehran. Uh, Dylan Covey starting against the Blue Jays. Pineda against Swanson. Williams against Lauer. Maybe. Yeah, those are my uh, my pitchers for tomorrow. So we've given you DFS for today, hitters and pitchers. DFS for tomorrow, hitters and pitchers. Mike is begging you to give him ten percent. I say don't. Um, other than that, what do you, what do you got, Mikey? Uh, Mikey, not, what do you got? Not much. Uh, Paddock says it'll be fun to watch my next start. That's all I got to say. And then one of the LA fans commented, "It was fun. To, it was fun watching tonight's game." That's all I got to say. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Huge day for, for wrestling. AEW is going to TB, uh, TNT or TBS? TNT. 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 Back on TNT, right? That's where uh, WCW was when I was probably 10 years old. I think wasn't e ECW. Maybe they were on the National Network. But either way, uh, it, it is in the Turner family. And it's nice that Turner wants to get back into wrestling. And I think it's great for the guys over at AEW to have. That's the one thing that anyone that tries to challenge Vince McMahon at WWE, you cannot do it without major television. You just can't, and we've seen it. I, I love Ring of Honor, but how many people have that channel? I, I love Impact, but if you ask me where to watch it, I mean, I know where to watch it, but you ask the average guy on the street where to watch it, it's difficult. Uh, even Lucha Underground, in, in its prime, people would go, oh, El Rey Network, I, what is that? Do I get that? Everyone gets TNT. I think it's part of basic cable. So I think that in and of itself 
makes AEW uh, incredibly viable. Earl Hebner is now all elite. He will be a referee for AEW. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw that they were announcing referees. Uh, a couple of my friends, Rick Knox, Paul Turner, now Earl Hebner. Uh, you know, to the listener out there, it's interesting in pro wrestling, a good referee can, can make a match the same way a bad umpire can make a game. So having a referee that you know is competent, and also, listen, I know when I was wrestling all the time, I knew which, rest, which referees were um, not as bright as others. I knew one referee was legally blind in his left eye. So anytime I was going to you know, cheat or whatever, I'd make sure I did it on the left side of this particular referee. So there's a lot of interesting things that, that, that go into uh, the referee for the match. Let me, let me ask you a question since you're an insider. What? Is Earl Hebner the best referee of all time? Listen, best is, is a subjective term. Uh, what is the criteria? What are you asking? What are you looking for? What makes a good referee? If you were putting together your dream match – between any two wrestlers that ever lived and you needed a referee to ref that match, who would you pick? It's a great question. Uh, I, I have always enjoyed uh, a guy named Mike Kyoto from WWE. He's kind of a very lenient ref. He's one of these let these kids play. He lets the guys fight. And then there's some other referees that are just, you know, real sticklers, like a guy named Mickey Henson. He was Mickey J. Man, even if you made a fist, He'd step right in front of you and go, oh, you can't do that. He would make sure your tape was proper. He would make sure that your, your boots were laced right. So it depends on who I'm wrestling. If I'm wrestling like a Kurt Angle and I just I need all the help I can get, then you know maybe I grab a, a Nick Patrick or someone like that. But if I just want to go out there, listen, Scott Armstrong was my referee for WrestleMania, and he just let those guys kick the crap out of me. So um, I don't know. You know. That's a good question. I'd have to think about that. That's what I do. I come up with good questions. Yeah, once once in a lifetime you come up with a good question. Oh, man. Uh, so yeah, so AEW has TV. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see which day they fall on. I'm actually heading out to Las Vegas for the Double or Nothing week long of events and podcast row will be Starcast. Uh, I may have to do a fantasy baseball hour live from there. I know that you can't get out to Vegas because you'll be busy protecting the world. Ah, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish also, but listen, you, you do a great service to everybody and, uh, and we appreciate you. Um, a lot going on. So there's wrestling and there's basketball and there's football, but for me right now, it's the perfect time for baseball because come July or August, a lot of shows are going to shift their gears towards fantasy football. And I think right now, this is where, People are going to win and lose their leagues. And it's because of things we talked about, working your waiver wire while everyone else is out there living their life, um, you know, things like that. I also like to watch who do people in my league drop. You know, I really watch the waiver wire, not just for who I can pick up, but who did Mike drop? Oh, look at that. He dropped, I'm making it up, Kenta Maeda. I'm going to put a bid on Kenta Maeda because Mike's an idiot. Things of this nature, I think, are, are very, very important. Um, how often do you watch your waiver wire? Oh, all day, every day. I um, In one of my NFBC leagues, Corey Kluber was dropped on Whoa. Sunday night. So that's definitely going to be an interesting fab fab Sunday, especially with all the rookies coming up. I don't know uh, how much I'm going to bid on Kluber. I haven't decided yet, but I'm definitely going to throw a bid out there because he could, he could take you to the next level if he comes back and by the end of the year and is the Corey Kluber that we know. So I'm always watching the, the waiver wire. I'm always watching who people drop, not just who people add, but who people drop. Yeah, and uh, when I see a guy dropped, I want to know, what does this owner know that I don't? 
you know, it's not lost on me that I, I don't know everything. Unlike Mike, who you cannot have a conversation with. He's just he's like my mother. No matter what you talk about, he's got a better answer. Love people like that. But uh, I like to look at the metrics and see, oh, he dropped him because these numbers indicate this. And I don't want to be the goof that goes and picks him up, but one man's uh, floor is another man's ceiling. Is that a thing? Um, Mike, I'm trying to come up with, and I have been for, for a minute now, I want to come up with some kind of advanced metrics for wrestling. How often Cody Rhodes hits his drop kick versus how often he throws it. I think that's actually genius. Nobody's done that. I know. How many times does Seth Rollins go for a cover in a match versus how many times, you know, how quickly the match ends thereafter? Do you realize this can make us rich? Okay, so here we are. It's proprietary. I own it. How do we do this? How do we come up with this? I don't know, but I will think every day for the next week to find out. You love it. You love it. That is exactly what wrestling needs. That could revolutionize the business if there's a match going on the screen. And you know how, like, in the NBA, when a guy's dribbling towards the hoop and it, the percentage goes closer and yes. closer? Yeah, where it goes, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So yes. this probability. Be, Win probability. Yes, exactly. But, like, if Seth Rollins goes for a pin in the first minute of the match, it, you could put up the percentage on the screen and it will say, like, 7% success rate Seth Rollins wins matches on first pin. Like as the pin's going on, uh, second pin, Seth Rollins wins 30% of his matches using uh, on his second pin attempt, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, when I was in WWE, I brought forth this idea, and it was, it was uh, shot down. I wanted to do fantasy wrestling, but the problem that I run into, and let's just be honest here, <laughs> the outcomes are um, not as authentic as baseball outcomes. Would but you could bet on way. wrestling, so you could, then you could do fantasy wrestling. You're allowed to bet on wrestling. You can, but if I'm if if, if John Cena versus Matt Stryker, you're an idiot if you bet on Matt Stryker. What you have to bet on is how much offense does Matt Stryker get in? How many times does Matt Stryker go for an arm drag? Prop bets almost are the way to make money on on fantasy wrestling as opposed to John Cena's gonna win. A wrestler's propensity for doing something is something that you could calculate and try to put a number on so i'm glad you like this i'm glad you're going to be thinking about this like a madman well now we have a connection to to cody Rhodes and AEW. maybe this is something that we could tinker with and and pitch you know and add it to their broadcast that'll make their broadcast different a hundred percent you don't think it would i think it would it's actually really interesting and i think i'm gonna go and uh, call somebody right now actually <laughs> to be honest with you um <laughs> Mike, before we go, so uh, when I was younger, I used to wear a lot of wrestling apparel. Uh, my good friends over at ProWrestlingTees.com really make some great stuff. But uh, now more than ever, I like to wear baseball apparel. Are you a baseball apparel guy? Yes, I am. Uh, what do you like to wear? Who do you like to wear? Like I'm more a of a jersey kind of guy. The shirt jersey is, is really my thing. There's not uh, too many places you could go around wearing baseball jerseys, in my opinion, except when you're an undercover police officer at work. Those guys wear a lot of baseball jerseys. So that's why I've always wanted to go undercover so I could walk around in a, in a Felix Hernandez jersey in the middle of New York City. So I thought that yeah, was- like like, like you're, that doesn't scream cop right there. <laughs> yeah, to, to all of our degenerates watching, anytime you see a grown man in a baseball jersey walking around, you might want to assume that he's undercover. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, I'm more of a jersey guy. So if there's a jersey of a player that I like, I will definitely go out there and get it. 
yeah, there's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good friends that we have out there in the social media world. And as the weeks roll on, we'll be doing giveaways and we'll be doing, uh, uh, order. What is it? Use this promo code to get X percent off of it. You can tell Discount I'm already going to be, a, yeah, I'm going to be a great pitch man. Like use the code Mike's mother to get 15% <laughs> off a Chris Paddock jersey. Uh, I too, I like jerseys as well. I think they're pretty cool. But what I like is when, like you just said, so I live in New York. Of course I'm going to see, and it annoys me when I see the name on the back of a Yankee shirt. So I'll see 27 Stanton and his name isn't on the back of the, you know, stop it. But I want to find a Chris Stabo t-shirt. I want to find a Tony Gwynn t-shirt. That to me is what's cool. And I always have my girlfriend scouring the interwebs to try to find me stuff, but it's only kid sizes and that'll only fit you. (laughs) Not everybody's a WWE wrestler, a former WWE wrestler. This is true. This is true. All right. So we've gone over the waiver wire. We've gone over what Babbitt means. We've gone over the DFS. We've gone over what clothes Mike likes to wear. We've gone over some wrestling. We put out some ideas for some metrics. Mike, anything else that you want to do before we let the kids go on with their day? No, just uh, follow us at Fantasy BB Hour on Twitter. Follow me at Mike the Rotocop. Obviously, follow Fantasy Radio FNTSY for making all this happen. I have a DFS article coming out on PitcherList tomorrow, so check that out, PitcherList.com, and that's about it. All right, you can follow me at Matt underscore Striker underscore. Instagram is Real Matt Striker. Follow this show at Fantasy BB Hour. Good luck, be safe, have fun. We'll see you out there.